Hello and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson, and you are listening to episode 10 of History on the Table. Well, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I certainly did. Too much turkey, too much gin, all of the, all of the good stuff. And I got to tell you, it feels good to be back in the saddle with a full-blown episode. We haven't done a full episode since the tail end of August. And of course, in the meantime, we put out the first designers on the mic with Mitchell Land. Um, so if you haven't listened to that yet, I, I thought the interview was, was a good time. Go check that out. But here we are. We're back. This is a regularly scheduled podcast episode. So our typical format, uh, just me talking about the games I required, played, and, and all that good stuff. Um, the the initial plan with this episode was to get it out in November because I do have plans for a December episode and so I wanted to kind of stick to that monthly release but it's funny how a newborn baby kind of changes how able you are to, to plan things and do things on the fly whenever you want. But fatherhood is going exceptionally well and over the course of the last few months I have been able to play different games and so let's talk about those but before we do, there is some news, of course. I want to talk about the big event happening next June, which is Historic Fest. Now, I'll tell you, I'm going to just spend a little bit of time talking about everything we have planned for this event in this episode, and then I'm not going to talk about it again, um, unless there's some we have a big announcement of, of more guests coming or something like that. But I'm going to give this big rundown and all the details now, and then you won't have to hear me talk about it. But if you are interested, the website is historicfest.com, and that's Historic Fest spelled H-I-S-T-O-R-I-K-C-Fest.com. There's also a Facebook page where we've been announcing sponsors in all of our events. And so I've mentioned a little bit of the details already, but some things have developed. Historic Fest is three days of Wargaming, historical board gaming, 18xx, political games, really anything with a historical flavor to it. Three days of gaming in Kansas City, actually in Overland Park at the Overland Park Convention Center. That's in a great location. There's a million hotels nearby, and it's in a nice, really nice area of uh, the greater Kansas City metro area. There's tons of great food around, tons of great Kansas City barbecue, and all kinds of things. So we have, there's several events. If you're a new war gamer, if you're an experienced war gamer, there are several options, uh, a little bit of everything for everyone. So the first thing, of course, the return of Next War Con. I've talked about this before. Last year we did Next War Con, which was just three days of dedicated gaming to playing the Next War series from GMT. We're happy to announce that Mitchell Land will be returning to help put that on. Next War Con will be an event inside of an event, and it will have dedicated space kind of in the welcome reception area of the convention. Um, it'll kind of be roped off and, and set up with all the tables. Plenty of space for if you want to come play just Next War. If you want to come play Next War for two days and mix it up, you can do whatever you want, really. Uh, but here's a chance to come down to Kansas City and play Next War with bunch of other people that want to play next war and of course with the series designer mitch land the other big news which i haven't talked about on the podcast yet is thanks to the help of the kansas city asl group we're introducing the historic fest summer sizzler asl event and so this is actually four events kind of under this asl umbrella the first is a learn to play starter kit that will run on friday morning and then immediately following that 
we will be running the starter kit one day tournament. I say one day, but if, if there's a really big crowd for it, we can extend it as long as we need. We'll of course have prizes for the the starter kit tournament. Definitely a rule book. Hopefully a module uh, to go with whoever wins the starter kit. So if you're at all interested in ASL, either want to learn or if you've started and, and want to play in a tournament with uh, the starter kit, that's a great way. And then we're going to do two other things for the for full ASL. The first is we're just going to do a traditional single elimination tournament. Um, that's the plan right now. That may shift just a little bit depending on you know level of interest, all those things. But that will start Friday evening and run through the weekend. Now, the great thing I think about doing this inside of the convention is if you can eliminate it on Friday, there's a million other things for you to do. You can go play Next War. You can go learn how to play U.S. Civil War. We'll talk about all these things, but you can drop into ASL and then go do whatever you want. Or if ASL is your own is your only interest and that's all you want to do all weekend, on Saturday and Sunday we're going to run the Summer Sizzler, which is a going to be put on by the KC ASL group, and it's a hassle-specific event. And we'll have prize supports for both things, so whoever wins the ASL tournament will, of course, get a nice prize. And then we're going to give out a prize for the people who participate, excuse me, participate in the Summer Sizzler. So whoever, you know, points will be given out based off certain things. I'll have more details on. So right now, this is more in the hands of the KCASL group. They're the ones kind of developing this. They have their own tournament to worry about coming up in March Madness here in Kansas City, um, which I'll be at and, and playing in. Anyways, it will basically each side gets points for the best performing the best performing player on one side will get a prize and the best performing player on the other side will get a prize, that type of thing. Um, we have a good amount of ASL sponsors in addition to normal sponsors, so we'll have ASL specific prizes in addition to our uh, normal convention prizes. Okay, so that's that's the summer sizzler. Uh, so if ASL isn't your thing, next war isn't your thing, we'll also have some last hundred yards programming going on either learn to play or if you wanted to play test some new stuff the game designer mike denson will be in attendance um and he'll be running some events and if there's if enough people sign up we'll be happy to run kind of a last hundred yards round robin tournament that's definitely um on the agenda okay so those are kind of our three key events you know mike denson is in attendance Mitchell Land is in attendance, and then we have the AS ASL event. We're also going to be running uh, learn-to-play events. So right now on the agenda, and we're still seven months out from this thing, so this this could we could add things and all that. Uh, we have learn-to-play Front Towards Enemy from Ultimate Publishing, the recent Vietnam game. We have a couple copies of that game to give away. And one of the ways you can win that game is by playing that game. So we'll have some play-to-win events going on. And then we're also going to run a learn-to-play great campaigns in the American Civil War. And same thing, we have some great brand-new and shrink uh, great campaign games to give away. One of the ways you can win is by that learn-to-play event or by playing um, some great campaigns of the American Civil War over the weekend. We have a learn-to-play U.S. Civil War, the greatest game ever made. And maybe we'll do some programming around that just because it's uh, such a good game. And then, you know, if you just want to come and play whatever you want, you can leave your game set up over the weekend. The The convention 
area will close down each night and be locked up. And so if, if you're looking for opponents and that type of thing, of course, we'll put out a geek list as the date gets closer. But each day, twice a day, we're going to run a Wargamer Roundup where we'll just summon everyone over who's looking for a game over to the registration table and just try to match people up. You know, if someone says, hey, I've got, you know, liberty or death that I want to play. I'm looking for three other people I'm happy to teach. Uh, Hopefully that helps them find those players. We'll also have a limited library of historical games to just pick up and play. So some lighter games, um, things that can be, you know, learned and taught within a half an hour or, or something like that. There's going to be other games that you can check out of the library and play and win a copy. There will be a flea market running through the weekend and quite a few prizes. We've had a great amount of support from all of our sponsors so far. I'm really happy and thankful that so many sponsors have agreed to help us out with door prizes and prize support. It's a pretty high chance right now that if you show up, you'll go home with something. And I'll go ahead and announce now, everyone in attendance will receive a 5% off coupon for any purchase. Basically, from what I understand, and this is what it is, it's essentially any purchase from NWS Wargaming Store. Um, There are some very, very limited things that won't apply to, but what Chris has made clear to me is it's basically everything. And that's nwswargamingstore.net is their website. In addition to all the drawings and giveaways we're going to be doing, everyone who get, is in attendance gets a uh, 5% off unique coupon for any purchase at NWS Wargaming Store. We have all kinds of stuff. We have Hollenspiel, uh, Multiman Publishing, Osprey Games, Lone Connect Publishing, Bounding Fire, the World War One Museum. Um, we're going to be giving out a couple of passes to the World War One Museum. So if you, uh, if you have some time, you can go check out one of the... I think one of the best museums I've ever been to for sure. Okay, that is enough about Historic Fest. So that's all out of the way. You've heard about it now. I'm not going to ever spend that much more time on it on an episode. Maybe just new announcements, that types of things. If you want to stay informed, join the Facebook group right now. That's probably the best place where I'm doing the most um, announcements. A couple other sponsors real quick while I'm looking at the Facebook page. We have um, Miniature Market has also sent us some great prizes to give as well giveaway as well. I've already mentioned Hollenspiel, Osprey Games. Yeah, there's a, there's a good chance that you walk away with a prize as it stands now. And we're still seven months out, and so that may we may get some more sponsors. Who knows? Okay, so last thing about that. Registration will be is in advance only, so we're not doing any registration ahead of time. What that means is you actually have to go online and go to historicfest.com slash registration. All the instructions are there. We're doing early bird registration through January 10th. Uh, I made it the 10th just so the holidays could clear out and you know you don't have to worry about it on New Year's Day or any of that crap. Um, so early bird registration through January 10th, and then after January 10th, the price will go uh, back up to the full price. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, historytablepodcast at gmail.com. There is a, you can send an email through the website, you can leave a comment on the Facebook page, or there's a email for the convention, it's just historicfest at gmail.com. Any of those options are fine, you can reach out to me on Twitter, whatever you want to do, uh, but I really think it's going to be a good time. I think Kansas City has needed this event. You know, I've only been in, in the wargaming side of this hobby for two or three years, but ever since getting in, I I think 
non-miniature gaming events in Kansas City are few and far between, especially targeted at historical gaming like this, other than the KCSL deal and the Recruits Convention, which is really for miniatures. I don't really know of anything else in Kansas City with um, such a target on historical games, particularly historical war board games. Okay, that's it. Historic Fest, June 26th, 27th, 28th, Overland Park, Kansas. I will be following up with the hotel accommodation soon. That's the one big piece that we haven't announced yet. Uh, still trying to piece that together. But even if that doesn't happen, there are so many, there's so many hotels in the area that you should be able to find any kind of affordable pricing. You can stay right there at the convention center or, you know, there's a Best Western or, um, you know, a, a Motel 6 all in the area or there's a holiday in there. There's so many things in the area. You shouldn't have an issue with finding an affordable hotel accommodation, but I will try to get an official hotel lined up. Okay. Uh, other news. The only other thing that in, in our world is the next Kansas City Historical Gaming Group meetup, which is December 21st at Tabletop Game and Hobby. Uh, we just had our November meetup. We had uh, quite a few new people show up. A new family, actually. Um, James and his wife and, and son made it out, and that was really cool. I played Root with them. Anyways, December 21st, we'll be back at Tabletop. This will be our last gaming group of the year. My wife has agreed to make a plate of cookies. I'll be bringing a share. There has been talk of OCS uh, all day. Since it's a Saturday at Tabletop, we run 10 to 9, so you get a, a longer period. And quite a few people have talked about playing OCS. I'm trying to gauge interest for a Here I Stand game. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out. And I, I hope to, to see you there if you're in the area. Okay. So it's been... I'm going to take a quick pause. You may have heard a baby crying in the background. It sounds like someone may be a little fussy. So I will take a quick break and be back in just a second. Okay. All, let's get to all the news is out of the way, all the announcements, all the stuff I wanted to cover. I guess two quick things I'll add real quick. Uh, as I think about them, is just upcoming schedule for the show. So, my plan for December is to do a little bit of an end-of-the-year episode. And I would love to hear from you. I So, I plan on doing a little bit of a kind of top, of course, your, your standard fare episode about, you know, best games you played this year. And so, my, my kind of thought is... I want to uh, I want to hear from you. I want to hear some of your favorites, uh, 2019 published or uh, you know recently published. It could be late 2018, I guess, or it can even be new to me in 2019. You know, tell me about the game. Tell me why you like it so much. Tell me, you know, you know what's anything your favorite World War II era, post World War II era, Civil War game, science fiction game, small game. You know, best graphic art, best reprints, best ancient, best, you know, post damn rev, whatever, whatever category you want to jam it into, send me an email. Tell me about your favorite game from 2019. From 2019 can really mean anything you want, and I will talk about it in next episode's uh, show, because that's kind of the, the direction I want to go next month. Is just a nice look back on 2019 and discussion about our favorite games. And then in January, we will be back with a kind of a standard schedule, but then we'll just kind of talk about our 
our goals going forward in 2020. January will mark the one-year anniversary of doing this show, uh, which is pretty cool to me. Uh, I'm glad this has gone on for almost a year, and I'm still enjoying it. It's still a lot of fun. It's just now that time is a little bit constrained. Okay, so that's that's what you have to look forward to in later on in December. Wow, it's, so this will come out on December 1st, December 2nd at the latest. I plan on recording the December episode after Christmas, so I, I usually have a week off after Christmas. So by like 12.26, if you want to talk about your favorite game, if I get some emails, I'll read them on there. If not, I'll just share mine, which is uh, which is completely fine with me. So let's talk about some games on the shelf. And I am going to, just some things I'm most excited about because it's been three months, so there's all kinds of stuff going on the shelf. Uh, Lately, some 18xx stuff has really been catching my eye. I've kind of been on a craze trying to track down what I can. Um, You know, there's been a push recently, I think, to make 18x games a lot uh, more available to the general public. Instead of going through these printers where you have to wait, you know, at a minimum six months to get these games. And, and so that's pretty exciting. There were a couple of recent Kickstarters, all of that stuff. So I did grab 1830, which recently had a reprint from, I think Lookout Games is who did it. Uh, it's upstairs. I should have checked. But I also grabbed a copy of 1824, which had a recent Kickstarter, and then a copy of 1822CA. Now, if you haven't played an 18xx game... I, I highly recommend it. The first time I played 1830 was one of my favorite gaming experiences. And and I've talked a little bit about, I think, gaming experiences when I talked about the U.S. Civil War. It's, I just walked away, you know, just kind of saying, holy shit. And then I remember the next day at church, my wife nudged me because I was like, sketching out routes and just 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 thinking about the game it it absorbed me um and just really sucked me in and i really enjoy the experience 18x games are if you're completely unfamiliar are uh economic games about owning and operating train corporations which typically involve a stock market component where you're buying and selling shares and um owning these corporations and then running these corporations where you are essentially building up this map of train routes and you run these trains from destination to destination and you pay out dividends and it's how you what you do with those dividends and the money that those corporations make and how you manipulate those manipulate those companies uh, to come out ahead and there's lots of shenanigans you can do you can dump companies on other people uh, trains will rust, so as new technology develops over the years, the old trains become obsolete, and you're you know constantly eyeing that as you want to. You always have to have a train um, that works, basically, uh, to really keep this as a simple explanation. Um, but rules-wise, the games are all, well, I want to say all, most of the 18xx games, especially something like 1830 or 1846 from GMT, are mechanically simple. It is the implementation of those rules and developing a strategy that really, uh, like, really, uh, pres- um, that really, that really gets me. Um, highly recommend you try one if you haven't yet. I admit they're not for everyone, but um, 
So I've been on a little bit of a craze of, of throwing some of those on the shelves. And I'll talk about some of the games I played uh, a little bit later on. A couple other big things. So RP in RPG land, uh, we just recently got the shipments of the Alien RPG from Free League, uh, the Swedish uh, publisher Free Login. And I gotta say, it looks pretty sweet. I'm not a huge Alien buff, but... I gotta tell you, the, the RPG book itself really gets me excited for this. Uh, it rekindles an interest in the Alien franchise, so maybe in my time off around Christmas I'll be watching those, and hopefully that's something in 2020. A game of the Alien RPG may come to fruition. Who knows? Um, other Otherwise, some other titles. Um, the only thing I really have going on in the RPG world right now is a game of Dungeons and Dragons that we're talking about uh, kicking back off now that things have settled down. Okay, war game wise, uh, a couple things. Tank Duel, which if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with it already. This is a recently released from GMT Games. It's a little bit abstract. The battlefield is abstracted. Um, this is a tank battle game where you are commanding several tank crews and you're basically tracking the relative distance to the, you know, uh, imagined center of the battlefield. And there's different, like, terrain cards and stuff. Anyways, um, I got really excited for playing this at our last game day. And I can't talk about the game yet because, basically, um, there were three packs of cards in the box. And my third pack of cards was a duplicate of the first pack of cards you are supposed to get a duplicate of some of the cards, but not the duplicates I got. So you're supposed to have some alternate cards. I got those. Those were all right. But basically, one of my packs of cards was the wrong packs of cards. GMT's making it right completely. It was fantastic customer service, so I can't talk about this game yet. But it's gotten a lot of buzz. The big thing is it plays update players. And I think fairly quickly, uh, from what I've seen... I know it was, I think it was played at, I don't want to say no, I think I saw it played at Harold Buchanan San Diego Historical uh, Convention they just had in November. It's been popping up a lot, obviously, on the GMT Facebook page, all of those things. It looks like a lot of fun, I just can't play my copy yet, but hopefully soon. Uh, here I stand. So, I mentioned I want to get this played at the December game day, so I, I grabbed a copy of this. When I got into this hobby, Here I Stand was a... It's just one of those games you see recommended a lot. If you go look at the war game rankings on BGG, it's certainly in the top 50. I think I, th I think it's even much higher than that. I don't know what the current ranking is, but it's a game that um, is often recommended as a great game. I've never, I haven't played Virgin Queen. I haven't played Here I Stand. Both of those games are games I want to try. And so I think the best way of actually getting it played is tracking down a copy and uh, learning the rules and setting up that I don't know there hasn't been a ton of interest to get it played in the simmer so I don't think it'll happen but we will try okay the last thing is I was going to wait to get a copy of this with the recent 2020 reprint of this game um, and that is Axis Empires Totaler Creek from Decision Games if you listen to Advance After Combat at all you've heard this game talked about ad nauseum and I, in the most recent episode they talked about the recent upcoming printing of the game um, but I had a chance to basically I got a Kickstarter game that I didn't want that I'd failed to cancel my pledge on 
and I was able to offload that for a copy of Totaler Krieg. And the reason I'm bringing this up is in that week off of December, a local gaming buddy, uh, one of the guys helping with Historic Fest, his name is Rex, him and I are going to set this up in my basement and just for the foreseeable future, whenever time permits for him to uh, come over, we are going to play through Totaler Krieg. He asked if I wanted to do um, Axis Empire's uh, Dicenso, which is the, that would be the Pacific Theater as well. I don't think my space is going to permit, just with how our basement is laid out. I don't think I could set up two tables that way. Anyways, that's I think that's a lot to uh, jump into on our first play anyways. So if it's good, if you're completely unfamiliar with these games... I guess I should explain a little bit. Axis Empires is essentially a... Covers the whole Western theater. Um, it's the... What if, right? So, I mean, it's 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 everything. So, El Alamein, Moscow, Normandy, all of those things. But my understanding is it, it lets you... It's, it's one of the things I like so much about U.S. Civil War, right? So with the U.S. Civil War, you're presented with this whole map, and I can decide when to, you know, take over New Orleans or, you know, shoot the Cumberland Gap or do all these things. I have these options open to me. And from what I understand, Tower Creek may be the same way, where you have, you control the destiny. You're not restricted to, um, okay, here's, here's, D-Day, now, now carry it out exactly as it went. I think really you're opened up um, to manipulate your forces and armies how you see fit. It's a massive scale. I think it's two 22 by 34 inch maps. And so this is going to be a big game. There's, I mean, you could obviously get bigger, right? I think there's only 840 counters, which really in the long run isn't that many counters. Anyways, um, Big game, really looking forward to it. I think it will tell an interesting story. That is starting this December, and I'll provide updates as we go forward. Obviously, we're not going to finish it anytime soon. Um, I think it'll allow us to really tell a different story to the war just based off the decisions we made. I don't think anything's scripted. I think that's what I'm trying to express, is you don't have to follow the World War II script. And uh, that sounds pretty cool. We'll see. I haven't read the rules yet. I'm after you know after this goes up after Thanksgiving weekends over all that stuff. I'm gonna start clipping and prepping that game. We are hosting Christmas this year, so I won't be able to set it up until after Christmas. But I do plan on getting it clipped in the rules read ahead of time. I mean, I have to. I don't plan to. I will. Okay, let's talk about books. So there's not a lot to talk about here. It turns out that having a baby really limits your reading time and war game playing time. But um, it we that's all that's all okay. I'm not I'm not complaining at all. I have been able to listen to a couple books, and I have been still making my way through Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. So I'm a late. I came to Terry Pratchett only recently, two years ago. I love his writing. It's hilarious. I love his sense of humor. But for whatever reason, he just reads so slow. And I don't know if it's because I want to miss everything or just his style of writing forces you to slow down. 
so his books really they just move at a slow pace and they're they're long but they're great and i love them but it feels like i've been reading good omens for a long time i'm just about done with that book it has been a treat and there's a reason why i think it was so popular i do look forward to watching the amazon show i don't know if it's good or bad um but i love the humor in good omens um so I'm going to go ahead and recommend that book. I'm not quite done, but I, I don't know. I probably have 75 pages left or something like that. And whenever I get the time to get to it, I will finish it. No other really historical, well, that's not historical at all, but no historical books. I've been listening to to some stuff, and I'm not done with it yet, and I don't even know if I'd recommend it when it's done. But I did listen to and thoroughly enjoy a fantasy novel called Legend by David Gimmel, maybe Gimmel. It's G. E-M-M-E-L. Now, this was sold to me just as kind of like a popcorn action book. Um, and that is it. That is what it was, but it was really engrossing. Uh, it really surprised me. If you want a good siege story, I recommend this. Um, so the premise here is their holdout in the mountains is really the last and only line of defense from an army that's a million strong. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool setup with how the walls are laid out in this kind of, this, this stronghold. And it's their story of, uh, trying to hold on there. I highly, highly recommend it. It's a really quick read. It's a little bit dated in the sense of how it treats certain characters. And I, and I think you'll see that. I mean, I think it's a, a creature of its time, but you can look past that pretty quickly, I think. And I think you'll find a really enjoyable read if you want a quick, action-packed fantasy novel or you're looking for a good siege novel i highly highly recommend legend i think i ended up giving it five stars on goodreads for whatever that is worth okay let's talk about the games we've actually gotten to the table or we've been playing over the last few months again i'm covering several months here so some of these things i i'm saving to talk about in more detail uh until i you know refresh my memory on them two of those in particular I played. I finally played a copy of a game of Hannibal and Hamilcar. Particularly, we played Hannibal. This is a Mark Simonich game. Uh, Mark Simonich did Hannibal, Rome versus Carthage, which is one of the highest-rated war games on BGG ever. And recently, Phalanx Games did a reprint that included Hamilcar. I've not played Hamilcar yet. Um, Hannibal was very interesting. I see why people like it so much. I think it is a, so Hannibal Hamilcar is a card driven game. Everything is card driven. The combat is card based where basically you uh, determine your strength and you get all these modifiers and you draw a hand of cards and you basically try to outmaneuver these cards with a left or a center or a right or a counter attack. There's the cards themselves are pretty basic and your combat strength determines how many cards you have open or how many cards you have available to you in combat. So if my opponent plays a center, I need to respond with a center, or I think you may be able to play a counterattack or something like that. So combat itself is pretty um, simple, but the game the game itself is not. I found that the choices to be made are very interesting. I think just like so many other card-driven games, this game would really shine if you know what the cards are so what do i mean by that one a lot of the cards in particular i gotta look up the the region here okay a lot of the cards in particular deal with numidia and i think just knowing that those cards are in there so you're placing um 
what were those called? Basically control markers to take control of a province. And, and your goal ultimately is to, to control all these provinces. But there's cards in that deal with Numidia that will completely wipe away the control and, and stuff like that. And so just knowing those cards are in there, I think will will help enjoy the game. Um, you know, the the person I played, Matt and I, neither of us had played before. We went on a little bit of a tangent here. Overall, the game was really good. I think it's too early to go into a whole bunch of detail on it, so I'm going to save some of that discussion. I think this is a game I want to play more and more, um, and just just so I can get a full grasp of uh, what I really think about the game. You know, I think one play of the game is, is a little early to call on something like this. I would like to see it play a little faster, which I think, you know, once you know the game, it'll go. Cause I think, gosh, we probably spent six hours, five or six hours playing one game. And I don't, I don't think it needed to take that long. And, and maybe it was less. Uh, we played this back in September, I think. Anyways, that's Hannibal and Hamilcar from Failing Games by Mark Simonich. Just off of one play, I do recommend it, but like I said, I, I anticipate talking about this in more in future episodes once I get to play it more. I, I was impressed with the game. Uh, another game that I think a full review will come in the future once I brush up on the game, and that is Last 100 Yards. I know I've talked about this, just that we went up, um, you know, Mike Denson ran the event with the St. Louis War Gamers where he was there teaching the game and all that. And so I probably played through five scenarios. The first four are kind of learning scenarios. And then at the end of the day, we played a full-fledged um, last hundred yards um, scenario. So this is a GMT game and this is tactical World War II. And if you've listened to any of my episodes in the past before at all, you know, since the first episode, probably maybe the second I've been going back and forth with this whole issue of all these tactical World War II games. And at some point in the future, I really do think I will get to where I can compare and contrast these games and talk about the ones I want to keep and the ones I want to get rid of. Long story short, Last 100 Yards is a keep. Why? Uh, I think I'm going to quote Rich Trapier here uh, from what he said on the Chance of Gaming Prods podcast, but I don't remember exactly what he said. The short of it was basically it's tactical World War II without feeling like ASL. Uh, so what do I mean by that? If you go play Band of Brothers and then you go play ASL, or if you play ASL and you go play Band of Brothers, I think you see a lot of similarities. And, and I mean quite a lot. They feel like a very similar game to me. And I also feel like ASL does it better, even though I think if you go look on the internet, you're going to find a lot of people that think Band of Brothers... Uh, is more elegant, and maybe it is, but I enjoy the experience of ASL a lot more. Anyways, I think Last 100 Yards is carves out its own space in the tactical World War II genre because it feels so different. It does this... It really plays with simultaneous, simultaneous actions, and it plays with them well. So what I mean, it means everything happens at once, including your opportunity to fire, all of those things, you know, you don't interrupt movement to you say, stop, all right, I'm going to fire at you there, all right, keep moving, those types of things. It does a lot of interesting things with, so when the game's over, you kind of compare the score against how much time it took you against your casualties, so, you know, do you rush ahead to the objective, but you have to weigh that against how many casualties you're taking. It's a really good tactical game, um, and I think, like I said, I'm going to... 
save my full review of this until I can play it some more, just because I've only spent the one day with it. I like I've played five scenarios, but I I do want to spend some more time with it, especially now that I know the rules a little bit better. Better those those first four, really the first three were kind of banging our head against the rules. One of us had never read the rule book, and the other of us, being me, was nursing a, a pretty nasty hangover at the time. But fortunately, Mike Denson was on hand, and he was able to clarify things. Overall, the game's really pretty easy to learn. The The most complicated part, I think, is the terrain. Um, but even then, once you get it, I think you get it pretty clearly. And if I wasn't reading about the terrain with a hangover, I think I would have had it without Mike's help. But... Okay, I, I've gone on and on about this game, and I, I said I'm saving a full review for later. The short story, if you want an answer now, if you own ASL and you're content with ASL, and you've been thinking about this game, I think you can justify both. Or if you own Band of Brothers, or if you own ATS, or BRL 1192, or any of those, I really do think Last 100 Yards um, is, is justified. Okay, let's talk about a couple other things. I'm going to mention High Frontier real quick. This isn't a war game. This is a, um, a space exploration game that is daunting at first, but really when I went through the rule book, it was kind of, huh, this, game, this game's not too bad. And it's, it's especially, it's one of those games, and I've said this about games before, is once you get going, I think it makes sense. The, the deal with High Frontiers is so you're developing these technologies to go and, you know, mine asteroids or go explore Mars or whatever. I mean, you can go to deep space as you add more modules. So this is a modular game. You start with a very basic game and you add in more and more pieces. Um, anyways, just real quickly, I, I love this game. The, the first play experience was outstanding and it was a lot of trial and error. I sent my crew somewhere near venus i don't even remember where but essentially i stranded them and so now the story i told was all right i fucked up i didn't plan far enough ahead i now have i don't have enough thrust to take off and get back to earth and unless you're playing the chinese you can't just abandon your astronauts you have to go get them um and so now i had to start from scratch all right how do i conserve enough resources to make sure I have enough thrust to get my crew out of there. And so it's a lot of, I really think your first, you know, five or six, maybe less plays of this are going to be learning ways not to fuck up. But the best part of this is you're telling a fantastic story as you do it. And the learning process of this game is really enjoyable. Not, not learning the rules, but learning how things click and learning what you should be doing and the trial and error process was phenomenal. The fourth edition just wrapped up its Kickstarter. You might be able to check, pick up a third edition on the cheap now that the fourth edition has closed. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I haven't checked, but the fourth edition was a no-brainer back for me. What an outstanding game. Again, I really don't think it's that rules heavy. It looks super daunting. The rule book is dry, but just, you know, buckle down. I printed off a copy. I got a highlighter out, and I just sat down at the coffee shop and went through it and then was ready to play and um it was good stuff and i i mean we i lost but i told this awesome story of yeah i sent my crew over to venus and we got there and it was great and we made it and then we tried to take off and we couldn't leave and then i you know put together this amazing rescue effort and we got them home and that that was a really cool story i really really enjoyed it okay i've been playing I alluded to this a little bit with the 18xx talk earlier. I have found that play by uh, essentially email 
games of 18xx are kind of perfect for my life right now because I can I can just pull up the spreadsheet and I can pull up the map on my laptop and I can start the map a little bit make my decisions 5 10 15 minutes and be done and it's not I know I've talked about before where play by email games just really aren't my cup of tea um, because you lose that interaction and it's just so time consuming and so I don't I don't really want to come down here and stare at the beyond the Rhine map for an hour and a half all by myself and have no interaction um, but 18xx games your, your decisions are quick and it just it clicks along at a nice pace and there's not a whole lot of player interaction especially during the operating rounds um, and so I've, I've really found that that's accommodated my lifestyle right now really well so we've played a couple games of 1846 we did play a live game of 1846 at the September game day um, I have played a game of 1849 and we're on a second game of that and then we just kicked off games of 18 EU and 1830 um, so if you're unfamiliar with 18xx that's all Greek to you and I, I understand that but essentially 18xx games all share the same skeleton and they each add on their own flavor they each add their own flavor to the um, to the basic you know frame and I've I've really been enjoying my my plays of that I've been on a little bit of a train kick because of that I think I think that's all I need to say about 18xx so the last thing I'll talk about is uh, at our last game day, I played a game of Conquest of Paradise. This is a 2007 game from GMT by Kevin McPartland. This is a 4X game, and to me, it felt like a, a poor man's Space Empire's 4X. But that's not a bad thing. So the, the hook of Conquest of Paradise here is this is a 4X game. Um, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't remember the word right now. These are Polynesian empires, so Pacific Ocean empires. What's interesting is these are essentially island, this is an island ocean-based 4X game. Uh, really low rules overhead. We learned the game, all of us really. I think Rex had read through the rules maybe once or twice, but then really just read through the rules again and, and taught us. That doesn't really get bogged down in any of the phases. Um, you, you know, with if you've played Space Empires, I've not played Space Empires face-to-face, -face, but the build and resources phase, from what I have experienced, seems to be pretty timely. And I imagine without the automation of... Excuse me, I have the hiccups from coffee. I imagine without the automation of Vassal, really gets back, bogged down in person. Um, but you could really learn this game in probably 15 minutes. 10 minutes less. There's not a whole lot going on, but it still makes for an interesting game. I think the sweet spot for this game is if you can knock it out in 90 minutes. I think anything past that, and you're you're probably dragging it out too long, um, it, it was good. It was not great. I think Space Empires 4X would be my preferred... 4x game um just because of the uniqueness you build in in your different factions in that game just based off if you're unfamiliar with space empires there's all these technology trees that players decide how they advance down so everyone ends up with their own flavor in conquest of paradise you may get some technology from these cards that you may purchase you don't always end up with them but you're not guaranteed to get that. So really all the 
all the empires really feel the same. And there's a lot more luck of the draw in Conquest of Paradise. But that's okay because it's only, if the game is only an hour and a half, it's really not that big a deal. But as you explore around the world, you explore these islands and you basically win by building your um, your buildings. I don't remember what they're called. Basically, you're colonizing these islands. And so if you get the most lucrative island right by your home, you're in a pretty good shape um, to, to bump out ahead. So if the other people are drawing really crappy tiles and you're drawing all these great tiles, that's where the luck of the draw comes in. But again, if you're in that sweet spot, you know, if you're in a two hour game, I think it's, I think I'd be okay with that. Um, combat's pretty simple. I think the combat could be a little bit more interesting. Basically you roll a six sided dice, one through three, it's bad for the attacker, four through six, it's bad for the defender. And you just roll until one side has more sides, more men remaining than the other. Uh, like I said, good game, not a great game. I'm not going to go out of my way to play this again. I probably got a good enough feel that I could throw this on every war game ever list, and maybe I will at the end of the year. We will. We will see. Okay, that is what I've been playing. We are running a little bit longer than I thought, but um, the game I'm going to kind of review at the end is a game I've already talked about a little bit in detail. So one thing I wanted to talk about, and this is a little bit of a rant, maybe a little bit of a just a bitching session, but I wanted to talk about a game mechanic that I think I found I really don't enjoy. And I, I don't know what the point of this segment is. Maybe it's to collect your thoughts on it. I, and I guess, yeah, there we go. Tell me what you think about this mechanic, if you care. Um, the mechanic is... I don't know what to call it, and it maybe it has a name, but basically you are assigned a threshold when you lose a battle, and you have to assign losses totaling that threshold. So let's say eight is your number, and you have to come up with eight points worth of actions um, to make your losses, you know, to you have to come up with losses and you assign action points as losses, and you have to come up with that number. So, you know, maybe if a step loss is four points and a retreat is two points and breaking is one points, you somehow have to man manipulate those points to come up with eight. Uh, this came up in the Miku Games game Tornio 44. So Miku Games is the publisher of the now no longer available Finnish trilogy, which I've talked about. It's a game. I it's all of those games are a bit of a grail game for me. I'd love to get my hands on them. They're massive. Um, that's an area of history. I, I want to play more about, I want to learn more about, you know, the winter war, the Lapland war, all that stuff. Um, they're massive. They fetch a really high price. And so I hoped that Tornio 44, when I bought it was just a taste of the Finnish trilogy. It turns out Tornio 44, that's that's not what the design purpose was. It was just supposed to be a more simple design, and that's fine and all. But as I was setting it up for solo play, I came across this mechanic, and so it actually deterred me from playing it solo because I did. I don't find those choices to be interesting in a solo play. Um, and this came up also in not war but murder, which I talked about. I think last regular episode. Uh, same kind of deal there is after combat resolution, you're assigned a threshold and the losing player is they're given that threshold and they have to reach or exceed that by 
these different actions they can take. Retreating, breaking, taking step losses, all of those things. I get why the design is there. The, the whole point is you're giving the losing player some kind of choice into how the battle comes out. So instead of a combat results table where you take a step loss and you have to retreat, um, now you have some flexibility. I don't want to make those decisions, um, especially when I'm playing solo. I think some of that as a design choice is okay. Uh, so you see this in OCS, right? In an operational combat series, you have a standard combat results table, but some of the losses are contingent upon the option that whoever's assigned the option takes. So in OCS, you have an option. If you take an option loss, you can either take the loss or you can retreat. You're not really dealing with these action points, but your option immediately impacts the other player. So if I retreat, they don't have to take the loss. If I stay and I take the step loss, now they have to take a step loss as well. That decision is a little bit more interesting to me. What isn't is I'm given this arbitrary number and now I, I'm going to sit there and math out what the best options are to me. That's just not... So when you have a simple combat resolution like you do in Torneo 44, and you're just given these numbers, and then you're going to stare and think... I I I personally don't like that. And again, I, I don't really know what the point of this segment is, other than just kind of bitch about this mechanic and maybe get your feedback. Because I saw that, and it just really killed my drive to... You know, I had it set up. Uh, we were We were home from the hospital I had some time off work and we were doing great and I was like I'm gonna set this up this is a game I wanted to try and I started going through I got everything clipped I got the map out all that stuff and I started going through and I saw that and I just thought eh, I, I don't want to experience that solo and so I put the game away and I'm sure I'll get it out I don't plan on getting rid of the game anytime soon I think it would still be okay in a face-to-face -face game uh, but what are your thoughts are is that and maybe I don't get any feedback on this segment of the show. Maybe I do. That's that's okay. We'll see how this goes. Is that a mechanic you like? Is that... Uh, am I completely off base here? Am I, am I missing the point? I don't think I am. I think I understand why it's in there. I just don't like the execution of it. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up, there is we need to we need to talk about the big game, the big review here. Um, and that is Operation Pegasus. This is the 1980 game from Task Force Games, designed by Perry Moore, covering the Siege of Quezon, or the attempted breakout of the Siege of Quezon. I've talked about this game, right? It's a 1980s magazine game that has that really has some nice Chrome features to it. Um, if you recall, Anthony and I were playing like, I don't know, it seemed like quite a few Saturdays. We'd wake up, or I'd wake up, he'd be getting ready for bed. Um, just different time zones, all that stuff. So we get up, we'd play, and it was really interesting. There's some things that work in this game, there's some things that don't. But So why am I talking about this 39-year-old game I've already talked about? The game is dated. It, it does some weird things with how you track losses. You, you know, you track losses off on a sheet of paper. There's no really counters to track losses. And the, the combat is my least favorite part of the game. So, so why, why does this game matter? One... It covers the CGK song, which is something to be said because there really isn't anything that I know of other than some other magazine games that give Kason any kind of treatment. Uh, so if you're completely unfamiliar with the CGK song, this Kason was a combat outpost 
that was under siege. This was pre-Tet, so this is early 68, January to July of 1968. We're, we're talking Korea here. Um, and what this game is doing is modeling the United, or the, I guess, the free world forces to break the siege. Ultimately, they end up abandoning the outpost, they break the siege. I think both sides claimed it as a victory, or at least uh, the free world maybe said it was a stalemate because at least they extracted their forces. So, basically, there's a road into the um, the combat outpost, but the, ro the road is completely mined. The only other way through is the jungles. And what this game does is it's, I'm a little bit surprised this game hasn't been, been modeled yet, and I don't I don't know why. Um, I think it would be an interesting game to to get some kind of modern treatment. Uh, Operation Pegasus, it's good, but it's not great, right? I mean, I wouldn't say it's the definitive game on Quezon because that, that doesn't exist yet, right? Anyways, what Operation Pegasus does well is simulates helicopter operations. It also simulates effects on troop cohesion and ambushes really well as well combat it would need a completely reworking basically if you have let's say we each have a stack of three counters right and i'm the attacker my first counter attacks your stack and we roll and then instead of my other attackers rolling all three of your counters can then attack out and they each roll one at a time and then if i wanted to i could then attack with my two other counters and it's it just it just seems choppy it's not refined it's not elegant it's not streamlined i think you know someone more motivated than me could either take this system or, or start from scratch i think and really come up with something interesting because the free world forces the u.s player is really what they're doing that's interesting is they have all these helicopter points and they are choosing how to they can scout with those helicopters they can conduct air assaults uh, different airstrikes with the helicopters, troop transport, all of those things. They can establish landing zones. And that is an interesting part of the game. And I think that is worth exploring more. And how they use those points, let's say they have 16 points. Well, depending on what happens, if those helicopters are shot down, it may be two or three turns before they come in back play. Or it may just be one turn if, you know, the Vietnam, the Vietnamese, the, um, the communist player doesn't attack the helicopters. If, if they just kind of let them run wild, then really the U.S. player isn't deterred at all from using their helicopter points and can just kind of do whatever they want. And so as the, as the U.S. player is moving their forces from the east side of the map to the west side of the map and trying to lift the siege, and as they fly troops into the jungles and, you know, conduct all these airstrikes and artillery bombardments, the Vietnamese player, meanwhile, as long as they're not under observation from a helicopter or within two hexes of Quezon, all of their units are masked. And there may be decoys, there may be snipers, they could be tanks uh, in some situations, They or they could be units. And what's interesting with the U.S. player is, uh, if, you're, if you go back several months and look at my Twitter, I, I put out some pictures of our game, and the U.S. player, when they looked at the map, they just saw all these question marks. They had no idea what was out there. Um, and it just seemed like they were completely surrounded. And so as the U.S. player, you can send these teams out. And 
if you fire at a stack and it contains a decoy, you lose points. But if you just charge into the stack, you risk taking a lot of firepower because again, I don't I'm not crazy about the combat system, but I also get why it's there. Because okay, the US player moves one unit into the stack of Vietnamese forces, but he doesn't know what's there. That entire stack basically gets to react against that U.S. guy first. Um, but you don't want to risk just firing into a decoy hex. So the U.S. player's kind of weighing, you know, how do I address all these decoy or all these question marks all over the map? Do I fire upon them? Well, then I risk losing points. Do I charge in there? Well, then I risk, you know, being fired upon by three full strength units and, and taking all kinds of losses. Um, because casualties in the same hex, if you're both in the same hex, chances are you're going to take a lot of casualties. And so those, those ambush and hitting counter units are really well designed. Um, the rule book is pretty weak, but luckily Judd, I think I mentioned this, Judd Vance has come up with a really nice flow chart of, okay, what type of unit are you moving? You know, what kind of hex do you enter as the unit masked? Is it Vietnamese? Whatever. You basically work through the flow chart and it, it works nicely. So that's that's really cool, and at the same time, the U.S. players dealing with, you know, you can't just wander off into the jungle. You have to be so far within range of the road or a landing zone, or basically, you know, they go fucking mad in the jungle. Troop cohesion, basically, you know, if you take enough losses, um, you know, shit goes poorly. They're trying to clear the road of mines. It, it's a really interesting game, but it's dated. Um, I, I really would like to see K-Song get some kind of modern treatment. Uh, let's talk about some recommended reading. I checked out a bunch of these books before the baby, and I did not get to them. So these aren't really recommended reading. This is on my to-read list. Um, and there's several. I'm going to mention two. If you just pull up Goodreads and search K-Song, you're going to see a million books. It's well written about. The two that interest, interest me the most right now are Last Stand at Quezon, the U.S. Marines' finest hour in Vietnam. I bought this on Audible, but the narrator was just awful. I think he, he kept, I don't know if he was necessarily mispronouncing, but he just kept saying Vietnamese in a really funny way, and I just, I couldn't, so I returned it. But um, that book is well-reviewed. I, I think people tend to enjoy that. So that's on my list. And the other one that caught my eye was Valley of Decision, the Siege of Quezon by John Prados and Ray W. Stubb. Um, there's another one. It's called West Dickens Avenue that has decent reviews, but uh, one buddy in particular read it and really enjoyed it. I also think it's a pretty quick read. I think that's more of a memoir. So that's that's hanging out somewhere, somewhere on my to-read list, but those other two would probably come first. Again, I don't really want to call these recommended. Those are just my to read list and i i skipped over normally in these reviews i talk about the game mechanics the phases are pretty basically the u.s player does everything first they have a helicopter phase an airstrike phase a troop movement phase and then a combat phase and then vietnamese does the same thing they have a reinforcement phase they have a movement phase they have a combat phase and that's really it mechanically the game is is really simple it's i think what you would expect from a 1980s magazine game but it has these chrome pieces that are really well designed, um, namely the helicopter stuff. I really enjoyed the helicopter operations. I played as the Vietnamese player, but seeing how, just looking at how he'd have to manipulate points and make those decisions, I think I could have been more aggressive in attacking the helicopters. I think it would have made the decisions tougher for him. 
Um, but that was a really nice piece. And again, the, the ambush mechanics are really cool. Unfortunately, because I think the ambush mechanics are one of the best parts of this game, this game is completely unsoloable. I would never try to solo this game. Also, I think this game shines on Vassal just a little bit, just based off the nature of being hidden units. Um, you know, if you have four stacks of things in a hex, chances are there's something there. So, I don't know. It takes a little bit of the mystery out of it, but I haven't played it in person. Um, this game is still available cheap. You can get a physical copy. Uh, you can also get a copy on, there's a PDF copy available to purchase for, I think, like three bucks or something like that. Plays pretty quick. Our game was stretched out over several months just because we were only able to play, you know, for an hour at a time on, on Saturdays. And, you know, those first several turns were just as learning um, let's, let's find a list, a place for this on the Every War Game Ever list. If you're unfamiliar with my show here, we have a list of every war game ever made. Uh, and right now we're ranking every war game. I actually don't have a list of every war game ever made. Right now we just have a list, the beginning of our list of the games we've ranked. And so far we have ranked 10 games ranging from the U.S. Civil War, the best war game ever made, to the current last place game, which is Zeppelin Raider. Um... <clears throat> which as it stands is the worst game ever made. I, I don't think that'll hold true forever, but that's how it stands right now. Uh, so let's talk about Operation Pegasus. I'm not going to run through the whole list. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go check out the list. Um, what I have in mind for this is kind of the the middle middle quality, which right now is the seven eight not the 678 spot. Uh, so 6 is SPQR. SPQR is, a, I think, a far better game. It's a much meatier game. Um, the rules are much harder in SPQR, but the gameplay of SPQR is uh, really interesting, even though it's just, you know, dudes in a line charging forward. Something about that game is really satisfying. So that's at number six right now. Uh, Angola comes in at seven. And here's where I'm kind of thinking, and right below that is Holdfast Korea. So what I'm thinking with Operation Pegasus is how does this, it's better than Holdfast Korea. The question is, is it better than Angola? Angola, probably, Angola is better in terms of the decisions you have to make because you have a whole map to play with. And Operation Pegasus, and maybe this is why the game hasn't been recreated, I don't know. You know, as a U.S. player, you really just charge forward and clear the road and, and try to get to Quezon and lift the siege. Um, the Vietnamese player really has a lot more interesting decisions. You know, where do they draw up lines? Do they go on a counterattack? Do they just play defensively? Do they try to kill everyone in Quezon, inflict casualties because they can get victory points that way? Um, but the U.S. player, I mean, they have options in where they go, but the objective is always the same. There's only two scenarios in Operation Pegasus. In Angola, you know, that initial, I mean, you have your starting territory, but the map state is always different. You're dealt out random provinces to start. Um, Angola combat isn't great either, though. I think what it's going to come down to is Angola has a lot more replayability. Operation Pegasus is definitely limited um, just by virtue of how many scenarios come in it. Also, but the price point in, in Operation Pegasus is a lot less. Uh, I'm not going to go back and forth in this. I think Angola is the better designed game. Again, combat isn't great, but arguably it's better. Um, it does have some nice chrome pieces in the sense of it doesn't have near as much chrome, but the specific forces that each faction gets is, is interesting in Angola. 
Yeah, but Angola really. Hmm. You know, I think I think I'm gonna back up on this. I think Operation Pegasus may get the slight nod from me because I'm just thinking right now if someone said, "Hey, do you want to play Angola or do you want to play Operation Pegasus?" Right now, I'm leaning a little bit more towards Operation Pegasus. Angola, you know, is limited by kind of a runaway. There's some catch-up mechanics, but really. It seems like once someone builds a giant death stack in that game that they can just roll. Again, I've only played once, but you know, as it stands right now, I'm going to go Operation Pegasus. This this list can adjust. I'm going to add that caveat real quick. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put Operation Pegasus in at number seven on the Every War Game Ever list. So the seventh best game of all time, as it stands right now. We have a whole lot of games to rank, folks. That's only seven of 11. Falling in behind Operation Pegasus would be Angola at number 8, Holdfast Korea at number 9, Titan at number 10, and Zeppelin Raider at number 11. You can see the full list in the show notes below. Okay, before we wrap up, folks, we have listener mail, and I've got to go way back. I promised this listener, not promised, I told this listener in October I would uh, get to their mail. This comes from Galumac. Galumac, I don't know how to pronounce that, I'm sorry. Um... So, uh, Gollumac says, I stumbled upon your podcast. He says, enjoy your digs at the AAC, guys. I love their podcast, too. Um, and he needs help picking out a good two-person game, medium level that solos well. Looking World War II, but anything works. Was going for Holland 44, but you kind of changed my mind. Well, so here's the deal. I love the, I, I don't know how I changed your mind on that. Sorry for the clicking in the background. The Simenich games are some of my favorites. Uh, now, if you go look at every war game ever list, Normandy 44 comes in at number five, but that the top six of the every war game ever list are like some of the best war games ever made, in my opinion, uh, how it stands right now. I think Normandy 44 will always stand at the top. Um, you know, it, it only slightly lost to battle him, but I'm just more of a U.S. Civil War player. Uh, yeah, I think you're right on the right track. I think you're thinking in the right direction with the Simonich 40X games. Um, Holland 44, I think my complaint with that was I got steamrolled, which is just me not being a good player. Um, Holland 44, I definitely want to play again. So, yeah, I think um, those games, I would definitely consider those medium level war games as well. They do take a long time. I don't know if time constraints an issue for you here at all. Um, the Simonich games are great. Battle him. Oh, you're looking at world war two. Like you say, anything works. Um, battle him is recently available again. I think you can still track down some copies of that. Um, that's a nice chit pull game. Um, so the activations are always different. If you go back and listen to that episode, you know, I'm a big fan of that. Let's see, other games that solo well. So I think I've talked about this. I'm not a huge solo player, but I do tend to like games. What I found is I like games designed for more than one person. I don't like games designed for solo, it seems. Um, I don't know how well they solo, but the GCACW games are fantastic. Uh, oh, let's try to, let's see. You know, I would consider OCS. I know that that sounds crazy. Um... But, you know, one of the smaller OCS games may be considered medium. I mean, the, the the advantage of OCS, yeah, it's a heavy game. It's a deep game. It's definitely not medium, but because the rules are on version 4.3, I wouldn't throw it out the window. Um, 
you know, something like Smolensk may be a perfect game to get. Um, you know, all of those CS games have one map scenarios, um, but maybe sticking one at like a count, uh, a game with light counter den- density, reluctant enemies is a great OCS entry point. A lot of people say don't start there because you're limited to where you go. I still think it's a good game. I would like to get back to it. Uh, other world war two games that are kind of medium. I don't know if anyone has any suggestions, uh, send them my way. Oh, here's one operation battle axe. Valvel versus Rommel. It is available cheap. It is an area impulse game. So if you, if the game I talked about, um, oh my gosh, the name is escaping me. If a few episodes ago, when I talked about not war but murder, um, if that was at all interesting to you, where you are activating areas, and that that is a little twist. It's a little bit different than Operation Battle X. If that at all interested you, that may be, that's probably a good medium level area impulse game. It's designed by Michael Ranella. It should be available from the Revolution Games website. Um, and that is, so that is North Africa in 1941. Um, the interesting thing there is, one, it's area impulse, so it's a little bit different than your standard, um, you know, just hex war game. Um, I th- like the Germans have some panzers that are locked up and you really want them to roll out, but I, you know, they're constricted on when they can finally release the panzers. Um, a good game. I've only played it once, but I really enjoyed my play of it. I played it by email. I'd like to play it live. I would also just check out the other games that revolution games offer. Um, I've purchased several. I haven't played them all, but they seem to be in that sweet kind of medium density, um, game category. Okay, I hope that helps. Um, just a couple other things. Thanks for the vassal info. Not sure how to get started on it and how to meet people to game, especially without having the game. Does it work on tablets or phones or just PCs and Macs? I do not believe... I think it's just PC and Macs because you have to download a program. So you go to the vassal website um, and you download vassal and then you download the individual modules. And so if you go to the vassal website, you can see a whole listing of the modules. You just get your rule books. And you go download the module. It is a learning curve at first. I, I really think it is. Um, maybe start with a game you know well, um, if you can. Um, and go from there. If play by email sounds like your thing, it's a great way to get some, you know, turn-based gaming in, uh, which Golo Mac mentions here at the tail end of his episode. So if that's at all your interest, if you want to do some turn-based gaming, play by email and Vassal may be right up your alley. Anyways, um, so I have a Chromebook that I use kind of just as a laptop for just you know browsing crap while I'm sitting around watching TV or hockey or something like that. And Vassal's not available on there. So I'm going to assume that it's not available on phones or tablets. If it is, I'm not sure how to do it. Um, so just PC, Mac, as far as meeting people and, and how to play it, I, I assume there's threads on Consum World. That'd be a good place to go. There is a on reddit.com slash r slash hex encounter, all spelled out. If you're not familiar with Reddit, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a social media site um, where everyone posts threads and you can comment, whatever. And mostly it's like cat pictures. But there's a hex encounter subreddit. So it's a particular part of the website dedicated to X encounter. They have, I believe they have a vassal thread. It doesn't get a ton of activity, but it'd be a place to start. 
if you remember the AAC guild, there is a monthly vassal meetup thread. So you can go post, Hey, I want to play Normandy 44 this month. I can play live here are my times, or I want to play by email. Um, and so just finding things like that, um, Consum world, other forums, things like that. Okay. I, this episode ended up running a lot longer than I thought it would, which is good because it's been a while since we've been able to sit down and talk. Like I said, we will be back in December with the end of the year show. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what your favorite games of 2019 were. I want to hear what your favorite gaming experiences were. So tell me. I, I also think, so I saw this thread. I think it was Wargamers HQ. They're running through their favorite games of the decade. Yeah, we're, we're closing on a decade here, folks. So I think I'm going to look into that and maybe... Um, I mean, there's really no surprises on what my favorite game of the decade is, but maybe just looking it out back from 2010 to 2019, you know, what did we see? Let's see. What else is there to talk about? So, yeah, we'll be back in December. I'll see you in January. And then hopefully next year we'll be back with the Designers on the Mic episode. Um, that's a nice little way for me to get a break from playing more games but still getting content to you. And so, yeah, uh, the typical stuff... If you have any questions or comments or concerns, or if you want to send me your favorite games of 2019, please email me at historytablepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's historytablepodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can also ask any historic fest questions, all of those things. Please drop me a line. Also on Twitter, it's at historytablepod, at historytablepod. Um, I've got an Instagram that sometimes I post on Right now, it's just a bunch of train pictures from when the Union Pacific Big Boy came to uh, Union Station here in Kansas City. All right, that is it. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope everyone enjoys their holidays, Christmas, all of that stuff. We will be back, and I will talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Bye-bye.